there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this episode, I sit down to talk with Don, Mike, and Matt Van Howling of Van Wall Equipment about how the dealership has evolved over the last 40 plus years. Number one is to put the customer first and understand that if you can help the customer be successful, you won't have to worry about your business being successful. That was Don Van Howling talking about the biggest lesson he learned from his late partner, Barney Wall, who first gave him the opportunity to get involved as a John Deere dealer back in 1977. Before we head over to Don, Mike, and Matt, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation with Don talking about how he made the transition from John Deere corporate employee to the junior partner in a dealership. Don, you shared a little bit of this story with Mike and I when we were down for the dealership of the year visit a few years ago. But if you could kind of just go into a little bit about how you got involved in the dealer world to begin with. If I recall correctly, you were working for John Deere at the time. Could you share that story of what you had been doing and how you ended up at the dealership in the first place? I was working in the marketing department at the John Deere Des Moines factory, and they asked me to work on a special project, which was to try to help better forecast parts demand. And they said, we'd like you to go out and um, visit a good number of dealers throughout the United States and Canada and find out just exactly what it is that drives their parts business, how they order, how they think, what's going on, and see if we can come up with a way to better forecast parts demand and reduce factory back orders. So uh, for 18 months, um, I was on the road. I visited about 120 different dealers in the United States and Canada. And what happened during that period of time, I become quite aware of what it was like in the dealer world, you know, what it was like to be in a dealership. Um, because of course I visited a lot of them and I got to talk to a lot of uh, dealer principals and parts people and what have you. And so I realized in that process that that was a, a world that really um, intrigued me in terms of who I was and, and maybe what my skill set was. So um, that was my eighth year of working with John Deere when that all occurred. And so I went into my boss, which was a marketing manager at the Des Moines factory, um, kind of at the end of the project. I said, you know, as I've gone through this process, I'm just wondering if I wouldn't be a better asset for John Deere as a, a dealer person as opposed to a factory person. What do you think? And my boss said, you know, I, I, think, I think maybe you've got something there because I think he felt the restlessness in me. So he said, what I'll do is I'm going to just go ahead and put you in contact with the John Deere territory manager for this region. And then uh, you and he can uh, see if there's some opportunities. Um, he did that. And um, I met with the territory manager at that time. And he interviewed me and, and he said, let me see what happens here. I've got a couple of dealers that are uh, kind of in retirement mode um, or want to make a change. And uh, so uh, he had me interview with a dealer uh, in a small town called Dallas Center, just north of Des Moines. I did that. Terry went with me, my wife, and um, we came back from that thinking maybe that really wasn't the location that we were interested in. It would be a big change, you know. In the John Deere world, you've got a career ahead of you, and you've got a lot of opportunities that way. And so, you know, when you do something like this, you're, you're taking a big risk. 
her dad was an independent businessman, though, so she understood uh, kind of what that life was like. And um, so uh, then another gentleman by the name of Barney Wall let the territory manager know that he wanted to retire, and he would be looking for a junior partner as well. And so I interviewed with Barney, and he accepted me as a junior partner. Uh, I came in as a 20% partner, and he loaned me some money to do that. And that's where the Van Wall comes from. That was in 1977, and that's how this journey started. What was it in that 18 months you were on the road at the dealerships? What was it that appealed to you that made you feel like that's what I should be doing, not, not this? I, I guess I, I saw myself as a person that could uh, create a lot of energy maybe and a person that really enjoyed the sales process, uh, enjoyed the challenge. Uh, I was proud of John Deere equipment. I knew I wanted to be involved with John Deere some way. And I said, you know, I think this would be an exciting place for me to be. Um, and I can, I can move as fast as my skills and my opportunities will let me. Okay. What were those early days of working with Barney like? You know, he was just a wonderful man and a great teacher. He looked at the business in a way that he was focused on the customer. He cared about the customer. I don't know. He carried a lot of, back in the day, he carried a lot of accounts receivable and notes receivable for his customers. Uh, he was second generation. His father had been a dealership in the dealership before. So uh, he was able to do some of those things. And he taught me. Uh, about how it is that you take care of customers and how customers will respond to that uh, type of a um, caring attitude. And he believed in service. He taught me how important it was to uh, keep the customer going. All those things that I really hadn't been involved in, he shared with me how important those were. But number one, the relationships that he had built, he showed me how powerful those were. And you know, from, from that, I said, you know, this is a relationship business, and I've tried to carry that forward. So it was a great experience for me, a great learning experience. It was an exciting time in agriculture. There were some good commodity prices. John Deere had just come out with some new SoundGuard body tractors. And so there was just a lot of excitement around me and in the marketplace. So the timing that first three years was pretty, pretty good for me to get started. And how long was Barney in the business still until he um, retired? Barney well, did retire in um, uh, 1982, so he was part of it until um, that 81-82 time frame, and then he, he truly retired. He left, and uh, we didn't see him, and then shortly thereafter, sad to say, he, he developed Parkinson's in a way that he, he started to fail after that, and then he, yeah. has, he has since passed. What do you think the biggest thing you learned from him was that you still see in how the business is run today? Number one is to put the customer first and understand that if you can help the customer be successful, you won't have to worry about your business being successful. Okay. And then um, Matt and Mike, how old were you guys when your dad first got involved in, in the business and the dealership? Yeah. So this is Mike. So I, I was, I was about eight years old when he made the full-time commitment to get involved in the dealership um, with Barney and Woodward. Yeah. And in 77, I would have been five. Mike and I are about four years apart, so four and eight, five and somewhere somewhere in that in that time frame. Do you guys have any early memories of the dealership in that time period or those first several years while you were still kids? Well, we skipped some of the history, right, with Four Seasons, so I think maybe we need to go back. Mike has some memories of Four Seasons, which I don't really have, but I think you do. Right, so 
Four Seasons was a lawn and garden and boat and snowmobile dealership that was in Ames. That was that was really dad your first dealership enterprise that you launched with a partner while you were still working at John Deere. And so we, you know, I specifically have some memories of being around that dealership and being around all the cool big boy toys, the boats and automobiles and. And I remember we had an open house one time and there was a raffle for a pretty significant prize. I think it was small sailboat. And uh, I stuffed the ballot box with my name several times and I won the sailboat. And sad to say I didn't end up with the sailboat, but I did end up with a really cool battery for John Deere snowmobiles. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that story. Yeah. yeah so, so that's a memory. Um, you know, and then. I remember my, I think my first job around the dealership in Four Seasons was uh, to make sure that I got all the garbage picked up from the convenience store that was that was that was next door. And I think I decided that the the first time I had that opportunity to do that, I decided that that wasn't the job I wanted to have forever. So I learned a little something about the uh, about the kind of the kind of job that I wanted to have long term, but specific to the dealership in Woodward, the dealership that my dad entered into with Barney. Um, I just remember being excited to be around all the big ag equipment. Um, and, you know, at the time it seemed big, especially as, you know, a young person. Now I drive by what's left of that building and I can't even imagine that there was agricultural equipment that was prepared and serviced in that facility because it's amazing to look at it now. And so, so that was exciting. And, um, you know, otherwise, as a kid, you know, you're just super excited about soda machines that that spit out really cool bottles of soda, Mountain Dew, and stuff like that. That I got to go, that I got to go enjoy when I went to the dealership with my dad. But the, you know, that's the extent of those those really early memories. Other than we had really Matt Matt will probably remember this too. We had we had a lot of fun, you know, getting to participate in town and community parades at the time. That was a really big part of our marketing efforts. You know, when there was a John Deere dealership basically in every county in Iowa, being really involved in these small communities and being in the parades and, you know, being sponsors of this, that, and the other thing, afforded us some opportunities as, as children to um, do some really fun things and be involved in the community spirit. We'll get back to the Van Wall story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Van Wall equipment and what Matt and Mike remember from the early years of the dealership and what things were like as the farm recession of the 1980s took hold. Going a little bit back to some of the history, it wasn't too long after you got involved, Don, that the opportunity to purchase another store came up, correct? That's correct. That happened in 79. And what was the dealership that you guys bought at that point? So, as Mike was suggesting, there was dealerships in a lot of small towns. So, the town of Perry is about 10 miles from the town of Woodward, and the town of Perry also had a John Deere dealership. And the dealer there had a medical event, and he and his wife decided at that time that might be a good time to sell the dealership in Perry as well. And uh, he came to Barney and said, Barney, would you like to buy me out? And Barney said, no, but I will help Don if he wants to. And so 
he, Barney said, I, I will support you in doing this if you want to do it. And then Delbert helped me uh, with a, gave me a note on the used equipment and allowed me to pay for the parts over the first 12 months. So I was able to finance that acquisition with their help. And so we ended up then with, with two dealerships 10 miles apart. Then that next year, I went ahead and built a new dealership kind of in the middle on a U.S. highway four-lane intersection and closed those two little stores and ended up with Van Wall equipment that's in Perry, Iowa today. And so that all happened over a period of about three years. And then, of course, in 1980 is when the farm economy went completely on the rocks. I had this big new building, which I think I shared with you, you know, I brought my wife over there one evening and uh, we had just gotten the roof on it and everything and she walked in there with me and we walked, started walking and she looked at me and she says, you know, Don Van Howling, what have you done? In other words, my, this is crazy. And uh, because it was just a lot bigger than anything that was in existence at that time. But I had a vision for building a larger business and increasing the service. And then during that next two years, seven John Deere dealerships around the Perry area closed. And I had a facility and hired the majority of their service technicians. And that's really what got us through that uh, steep farm recession in the early 80s. Uh, and then the banker also said if I would just pay the interest on my note, he wouldn't call the note. So it was touch and go there for three years to get through that after making that big investment uh, without a lot of capital. Yeah. Is there anything that helped in getting through those three years or was it you were a lucky one? What were you doing that was different from everyone else? Well, as you have heard so many times, the secret to a dealership is to have a strong aftermarket business and, and have a strong parts and service business. And so, you know, even though the farmers weren't buying any equipment, Kim, they had to get, you know, the service, the equipment needed to be serviced and kept running, right? right. They were still farming the ground. And so uh, we went from four technicians uh, to 12 over a period of two years, filled that building up with equipment and technicians and sold that service labor and the parts that went with it. And that created the gross margin uh, to pay the bills and keep things going until the whole goods business, uh, you know, came back. Anything else from that time period that kind of helped shape shape the business and the mission of Van Wall? I went into uh, the year 1980 thinking that this was going to be a pretty sweet deal and wasn't going to be so wasn't going to be was going to be pretty sweet, you know. Uh, this this is this is great. You know, business is good. Everybody's buying stuff and. And uh, I realized then the uh, uncertainty that's the reality in the farm equipment business, and that is that it definitely has its ups and downs. And, of course, I got to face one early. And because of that, I think it tempered uh, many decisions that I was to make in the next, you know, 30 years. Did you feel better about entering into this downturn we've been in now, having experienced and survived or thrived through the 80s? Oh, there's, there's just no comparison to the business model that we have today relative to the one that we had there in that we, you know, we, we didn't know and talk about 100% absorption back then. You know, that wasn't a buzzword. Well, mm -hmm. today, you know, that's all you hear is you, you better be 100% absorbed and have a very um, strong aftermarket business if you want to grow and be successful. And so... That's really, that's really 
what has happened during that period of time that's been the focus. It's always been about building the service business. Okay. I think you and Bernie were ahead of your time, right? Yeah. Uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s with that. And that's part of, as you tell it, it's part of the part of what you learned from Barney early on was that he enjoyed the service and parts business and and didn't look at it as just sort of the necessary back end for the fun stuff of selling the iron out of the front. So I think you guys were were already geared and you had the building to fill with technicians, but you, you already had the mentality of enjoying and try and trying to make the what Van Wall and Wall Implement stood for was that service after the sale. So um, you know, you guys started early, carried it through and it's, you know, everybody else sort of had to catch up to that that same idea. But you were there early and uh, probably helped you. Yeah, we had already started uh, the winter service inspection concept uh, prior to building that building. Um, so we were already driving year-round service applications. Um, and you know, as I said, seven other dealerships within a 30-mile radius of us went out of business. And I would say to, to Matt's point, the difference was we really understood the importance of service. And uh, that was that's what allowed us, even though we were probably in the most precarious position financially, it allowed us to uh, come out of that. That you remained was probably big for the community if, you know, all those seven dealerships closed. That's however many employees across seven dealerships that are now unemployed. And you said you, you hired a lot of those service techs. So um, that was probably a big impact on the surrounding community, I would imagine. You know, I didn't even think about it at the time, Kim, because I was just saying, how do I do this? <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. You, we were making sure you were going to survive, keep your head above the water. I don't know for sure. Let me ask Mike and Matt. During that first downturn in the early 80s, you know, I know you went through the second one with me in the early 90s, but in the first one in the early 80s, did you understand what was going on at that in that one or not? Were you aware? Because I know when you were in high school and when there was no, there wasn't even gas money on the second one to go into town. These kids knew that they're going to have to get on the school bus. That's just the way it was. Mm -hmm. I just, I'd be interested in how this impacted Mike and Matt during that the 80s. Well, so the, the 80s was when I was in high school. Okay. So, so, that's, okay. so, so yes, I do remember, um, I remember that business wasn't easy. You know, I remember some of the alternatives we tried with the, you know, the, the cultivator extenders and some other business projects that we pursued to help provide cash flow for the, for the, for the dealership. I didn't, fully understand the total economic picture of what was going on in the total industry at all, but I, I understood that it, it made business difficult for our, for our family business and um, remembered that that was stressful for, um, for you in particular. Yeah, and I was a little younger, but I, I think the part that I remember about that was um, you know, during summers and sometimes after school and some other stuff, I we we went to work out there to wash combines or uh, recondition mowers or whatever it was. Um, and I can remember sort of fussing about that, wanting to play baseball or play golf or go to the pool or whatever everybody else was doing, right? And I can remember that it was there was a pretty clear message that that, that wasn't an option, right? That we we had some work to do and, and I was going to have to contribute 
what I could um, at that point, which probably wasn't very much, but um, it, it was pretty it was pretty clear that it was kind of an all hands on deck. Like, you know, we we had, this isn't just fun and games, right? There was, um, there was some reality to, to life at that point. And, uh, and so I remember that part. I remember not wanting to go to work and, and understanding that, that I was going, uh, not just to learn a life lesson, but that I needed to make some contribution. Yeah, I, I remember the not always wanting to go to work also. And in the early phases of not wanting to go to work all the time, I remember I remember being concerned about whether or not I was ever going to get paid. Right, uh, exactly. Which early on I didn't get paid, yeah, I'm pretty right. sure. Uh, <laughs> I think ultimately there was, ultimately I got paid for some of the work that I did. But I think early on, probably not really. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask, was it, were you really going to work or were you going to do work at the dealership? Yeah. <laughs> More, yeah, more do yeah. <laughs> Kim, they got real good at cleaning combines. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, at what point did you guys come on in the dealership in a official capacity? Well, so for me, I went to work in the dealership, you know, through high school, partly because I had to. I went to Iowa State, and I guess maybe because I originally got that taste and um, probably needed some money and some other reasons, I continued to work. Uh, we had a store in Ames, a rental store, and still had four seasons at the time. And so as I went to school, I continued to work a little bit and, and in the summers um, doing doing whatever, right, whatever a college kid can do, which um, selling stuff and, and helping with the rental store and any of that stuff. Uh, and then I, um, after Iowa State, I went to our store in Urbandale. We had a store outside of the, on the north side of Des Moines in Urbandale and was a salesman there for a while. And eventually the store manager there left and I was sort of filling some of the store manager role. And we got into the golf and turf business and um, we had a partner in, in Kansas City that left us um, not too long after we, we took over that territory and moved to Kansas City. So it was, you know, I don't know what you what you would call the official date is, but it's pretty much all I've ever done, starting from. What, what year did you graduate from Iowa State, Matt? Ninety-six. So it's, that's when yeah. you started full time at Urbandale, right? Yeah. So that's kind of when he was, you know, that was his first career job. Okay. Was uh, full time sales person at the Urbandale store, and then Mike, you're right. Yeah. So I. I I went to Iowa State also, but I, after I graduated, I worked for some for some other organizations for a while. I worked I worked for Union Pacific um, Corporation, which had the biggest company Union Pacific Corporation operated at the time was was Union Pacific Railroad. Then uh, I went back to business school for a couple of years, and I worked in Kansas City for Hallmark Cards and marketing about the time that some of these Kansas City opportunities presented themselves that Matt was referencing. And um, after being in Kansas City for five years and having Matt move down, we, we, sort, of, we sort of partnered up in Kansas City and um, we bought a second John Deere-related business in the Kansas City metro and effectively combined them into one reasonably significant dealership that sold all the John Deere products except for the large egg products, golf and turf products and lawn and, and, lawn and garden and um, construction. small construction, uh, small construction equipment. So we didn't, 
we did sell large construction equipment or large ag equipment, but most everything else John Deere manufactured, we sold in a in a facility that that we all three of us worked on to d design and and build and and then Matt and I together uh, operated that facility. I was there for five years of it, and Matt continued to operate it after that. Yeah. So they built a beautiful new store in Kansas City, Kim, and the two of them then ran that for the next seven years. I'm Jack Semlicko, Precision Farming Dealer Magazine. If you want to be more successful in precision ag sales, service, and support, join us for the annual Precision Farming Dealer Summit, co-located with the National No-Tillage Conference. Check out more information at precisionsummit.com. And now back to Kim and the Our Dealer Story Podcast. You guys have at least one, I thought, Power Sports stores. We actually had a combination. That was our business model, that we would have the John Deere uh, lawn garden and construction business um, be in the golf and turf, sports turf business. But then we would also have a Power Sports um, package. Uh, which included uh, the Victory Motorcycles and the Polaris products. Okay. Um, so we felt like we needed all that to have enough volume to support that kind of a facility. Is it just the two of you that are Don's children? Or are there other no, I have a, I have another son, that's Mark, who's, there, who's the youngest boy. Okay. And Mark is very much involved in the dealership. He's, he's in charge of our transportation department, all the trucking operations, and we also... Uh, farm and he's in charge of the farming operations so he's very much involved and just a tireless worker his idea of the work that he loves is uh, being out and uh, working in that truck and in that tractor uh, he, he loves that world he went to Iowa State too and he got a degree in trans transportation logistics and and industrial management so he's doing just what he loves Van Wall has obviously grown considerably since 1977 um, how has, you know, what have you, what have you guys learned through the acquisition process and, and how has it changed, you know, along the way as you've grown larger? Well, I think the thing that's important is that when we first started this concept of having multiple stores under one ownership, that wasn't the John Deere model. So we were kind of outliers when it came to having three or four John Deere stores in the early 80s. That just wasn't something that was happening anywhere else. So we had a little bit of headwind in, in that process, but our branch manager uh, in the Kansas City branch, I think had a vision that maybe that's the way this thing was gonna look. And kind of, I, I felt like uh, that he kind of used us as a prototype to see how that would work. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we seemed to keep having success. So uh, they gave us some additional opportunities, even though that wasn't typically what was going on at that time. And so, uh, first off, uh, we were kind of, we were outliers. We weren't in the mold, so we were on our own trying to figure this out pretty much. Um, and, but I think we saw this opportunity of managing larger geographies as being per perhaps more um, profitable, um, okay. managing larger areas, having more scale. So, what we learned then is there was a lot of work that needed to go into the process of purchasing that business or that asset. And, and you learn 
uh, how important the people uh, uh, part of that is. In other words, the people that are working in that other company, how are they going to be engaged or are they going to be engaged? How are you going to manage the uh, real estate asset? How are you going to manage the operating assets? So it was really became the art of the deal and it involved uh, physical assets and people assets. And you had to really start understanding which people assets would fit with your organization, your culture, and which physical assets were important uh, to your success. And then you had to put that package together in such a way that Deere would approve it. Uh, John Deere Financial always reviewed every transition, every, every acquisition. Uh, so we learned a lot by just doing. And we were pretty much on our own. Um, and then over time, you know, some of these other uh, organizations started adding some uh, other locations too. So it became easier from a deer standpoint as we went along because they started uh, seeing that as a future roadmap. But what we've learned is that every time we have done one of these, it fundamentally takes three years to move uh, our Van Wall culture into any other organization that we have had the opportunity to purchase. Um, and we've also learned that it's pretty important to do an acquisition and not a merger. It's really hard to merge and acquire. Yeah, I'd say, you know, I, would, I would just build on those comments by saying, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons that we have continued to learn every time that we've had an opportunity is how important the emotional aspect is to the process. You know, there's the emotion of the seller um, and what the seller may be giving up. There's the emotion of the customers and the new employee base and sort of the anxiety around what is what does this change mean. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we're a family business and in most cases we're we're adding other family businesses into our family business. And you know, there's um, a lot of history and emotion associated with family businesses and mm -hmm. family businesses and communities. And you know, recognize, recognizing the that aspect of the the business transaction and being very considerate of it through the process and through the first couple of years, um, I think, is one of the one of the aspects that we've learned we need to most pay attention to in order to be successful with the growth opportunities that we do have. What are your thoughts, Matt? I think just trying to have an awareness of the change for those people and for the for the you know the the dealership we're we're trying to merge with or acquire, and try to just have some empathy for the pride that they may have had in their organization prior to prior to that, um, and just having you know, some awareness that you know there's and a lot of a lot of times there's more than one way to do something and. The challenge we have is we need to do it the Van Wall way because that's more efficient to do it do it our way, even though it may not clearly be better than the way they were doing it. Um, and just having some awareness that there, you have to work through some of that. And uh, as you build trust over time, um, that becomes easier. But you know, the 
earning that trust early on is is tough. And so I think we've learned a lot about how to do that early on, have interviews with all the employees early on, talk about their their role, their compensation, and try to be very, very transparent to earn that trust early on because it seems like the earlier earlier you can earn some of that trust, then that sort of paves the path for getting ultimately to where we need to get to on the same page. Yeah, I think the other the other comment that I would make is making sure that we don't underestimate the impact of change on our current organization. Yes. Um, because, you know, there's an, there's an emotional transition that our current organization goes through also as we have the opportunity to grow. And, you know, the attention of leadership arguably gets diluted because there's just a, a bigger organization for the leadership team to invest energy in. Um, and so, you know, while there's a certainly an energy of excitement among the total company when we have opportunities to grow, it does it does introduce change um, because typically when we grow, that means some sort of change, not just for the dealerships that we're able to add to our organization, but it probably means change in so, at some level for our organization in total. Two powerful words, change. Uh, yeah. People are really challenged with change, and the other one is trust. You have to earn it. And so it it takes a lot of hard work, and it takes time. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that um, Barney would have ever believed that you would have grown as much as you've grown? I got to meet with Barney uh, you know, a number of years, probably in the middle 80s, and we, I think, maybe had four or five stores at that point in time, you know, and he, at that time, he was absolutely bewildered that we were even doing that. <laughs> it would yeah, be hard he, for him he, to believe, probably. What do you think he would have thought of what you guys have become? You know, you're a, a very successful, very well-respected business. What do you think he would say about where Van Wall is today? I am very hopeful that I am continuing to carry on his legacy of focusing, number one, on the customer. And he would look down and he'd say, Don, uh, you're doing it the right way. And um, he, he would be, I, I'm sure he would just feel wonderful about the fact that he was the one that allowed this to get started and gave me the opportunity. Yeah, you know, the other thing that I remember about, about Barney was that he was, he was always very, very kind to me and Matt and, and our, and our, and our family. And I think that he would be, I think that he would be proud that our family has become involved in, in the, in the business. And I think he would, I think he could think that, that that, that was neat. Any third generation involved or potential to be involved? Well, right now I'm fortunate. I've got four grandkids, uh, ages, uh, 11 through nine. And so uh, there I'm, I'm just enjoying watching them play all these different sports and go yeah. to dance and all that. Stuff. So it's a wonderful time for Terry and I. Yes. That's yeah. Good. So they're a little bit young, but still are fully, uh, <laughs> yes. fully appreciate the opportunities that they may have someday. Um, I mean, an 11 year old can clean a combine, right? You guys did it. Yeah, <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. My nine year old got a chance to mow some grass, which he thought was super, super big time fun. <laughs> 
So we're getting we're we're getting there, but I think yeah. you know it's interesting. They I think they realize more than you give them credit for realizing. You know, I had one of one of my two make a comment that that there was interest in maybe being the next generation of Van Wall. Uh, so you know, they're okay. they're too young to really fully appreciate what that means or or whether or not that's a good fit for what their passions are and why. Right. Um, I, I think. Certainly, there's a there's a connection in their minds to the business and what their grandpa does and 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 what their dads get to do every day. Yeah, that's cool. Do any of the four of them spend much time at any of the stores? Well, you know, they did before. They they always wanted to come to the store with grandpa before this whole sports phenomenon kind of took over their yeah. lives. You know, now they're doing soccer, they're doing they're doing they're doing dance, they're doing basketball. They're doing. I mean, they are so busy. Last Sunday, I could have gone to three different games, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's their the school, and that is kind of their world right now. And yeah, uh, I'm and I enjoy watching them. Good. I'll check back in a few more years. See what yeah, you're right. Doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's probably just as well because there was a period of time when they were a little bit younger, and they would go see Grandpa at the dealership, and we'd go get them, and we Grandpa wouldn't exactly be sure where they were, so. <laughs> <laughs> We, 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 our, 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 uh, our safety manager may be happier now that, uh, that they're playing sports all the time. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a fair amount sure of trouble you could get into in a dealership. <laughs> no, I can't. They all got, they all got donuts. They all got M and M's. You know, they all got a John Deere toy. So they were spoiled pretty good. So Grandpa's making sure that it's the place they want to be. I yeah. guess. That's, yeah, that's yeah. all we can do. That's that's a pretty good uh, succession plan right there. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Get them in with soda and M&M's. Anything else that we might have missed that you guys want to add in? Yeah, I think so. I think the, we, we left somebody out who probably is important, mm-hmm. and that's, that's our mom. Right. She worked at the dealership, and you can probably, I think she probably worked there more than she would have liked to, partly because <laughs> of the 80s and some other right. stuff. So uh, right. you I mean, can probably talk to that. It was probably in the mid-80s when yeah. she got... She got more engaged in the day-to-day work of the business and supporting the business. When Mark was 12, yeah. that I said I went home one evening and I said, I said "Really, we we need we just don't we can't hire any more people. We've got accounting to do." Uh, Terry is, was an accountant, and so she knew how to do accounting, and and so I said, "Do you think you could come and help?" And we kind of made a commitment that we wanted. Uh, to make sure that Terry was able to stay home and be at home when these kids got home from school, at least until they got into sports in junior high school. And we kind of jumped the gun on that a couple of years because of the demands of the dealership. And uh, from from that time forth, she, 30 years later, until just two years ago, she worked full time. She was responsible for all the banking, all the accounts receivable. Oh, wow. And absolutely, I would have never uh, had this been successful without her right there with me, uh, handling all that pressure. She knew every day whether we had any money in the bank or not. She handled it with poise and dignity, and uh, it just we wouldn't be here today if she hadn't stepped in for those for the, that period of time. And then uh, it, when we went to a new business system, uh, she she said to herself, maybe this would be a good time for me to turn the turn it over to one of the younger gals and. And so a couple of years ago, she retired, and and uh, she's enjoying her grandkids now, which is wonderful. The three of us aren't here talking, in my opinion, without uh, uh, her her help. 
Okay. So the whole, all five of you were, were involved in the business for a fair amount of time then all together. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Truly, truly a family business. Oh, absolutely. All of us. We were all in. Thanks so much to the Van Howling family for taking the time to sit down and share their story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessermedia.com. You can subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with... Don, Matt, and Mike Van Howling. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.